Good morning. You can remain standing. You only have two more weeks to memorize this passage of Scripture that we're getting ready to read, so get with it. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. Thank you for this beautiful day you've given to us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that we would be teachable and that your spirit would move on every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Those of you who are old enough know who this is. Yogi Berra. That's right. Lawrence was actually his, his, his first name. And um, he was a ball player, in case you didn't pick up on that. Those of you who aren't old enough know who he is. And he was quite a ball player. Uh, he hit 285 lifetime, which that's, that's okay, but... That's just the beginning of the story. This guy actually had five seasons in which he hit more home runs than he struck out. That's pretty good. Uh, he, uh, he won 10 World Series championships. He was a three-time most valuable player in, uh, in the American League, whatever that is. Uh, he, yeah, newbies. 18-time All-Star, uh, obviously in the, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he was also noted for something called yogiisms. These were, these were things that he said. Uh, one of the ones that probably is most frequently quoted is uh, uh, Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, pick it up. That's, uh, you know, it has, that has meaning on several different levels. And in fact, that's a, that's a hallmark of yogiisms. They have meaning on several different levels. Uh, one of the roads, uh, one of the, one of the uh, sayings that, uh, of his that I like the most is, nobody goes there anymore, it's too crowded. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. This is deep stuff, people. <laughs> uh, you can observe a lot just by watching. Okay. Uh, probably my personal favorite and one that connects with where we're going to go today is uh, if people don't want to go to the ballpark, how are you going to stop them? And as a pastor, 
Over the years, I have, I have ruminated on this many times. You know, people don't want to go to church. How are you going to stop them? People don't want to read the Bible. How are you going to stop them? People, people, don't, want to, people don't want to serve. How are you going to stop them? The, the truth being, people do what they want to do. That's what it, what it really amounts to. Uh, and t- today I'd like to actually uh, uh, do a corollary, I-, I guess you'd probably say to this. And it, and it says, if people don't have anything to say, how are you going to shut them up? <laughs> because I've also discovered over the years that most of the time, if, if people don't know what they're trying to say, it takes a long time to say it. Uh, whenever, whenever I... Uh, it, give the platform to people, you know, sometimes for a short time, sometimes for a longer time, whether it's two minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes. You know, I, I, I tend to always say, plan what you're going to say. Know what you're going to say. You got, you got three minutes, and three minutes feels like an eternity when you're standing in front of your mirror. But let me tell you, three minutes goes by just like that. And at eight minutes, you'll still be going, uh, bah, 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 unless you know what you're going to say. So, you know, know, know what it is. Um, if you've been here for a number of years, you've heard me mention Kenneth Ware. He was a uh, missionary to the French gypsies back in the middle of the 20th century. Boy, that sounds so weird to say. And, and, and on later into the, into the, toward the end of the 20th century. And he came to the church where I was uh, attending back in 76, spring of 76. And he, uh, he I think he only was there like f- for, for four services. Uh, but he really made an impression on me. And one of the things that, uh, that impressed me was he would be going along at times, and then there would just be this, Silence. Now, this is a Pentecostal church, and Pentecostal churches abhor silence. If there's not some noise going on, then God must not be in this place. It's kind of, it's kind of the way that it is. But he would just be, and the first couple of times that he, that he did it, I was kind of going, what? This, this feels very uncomfortable, because it kind of did. And then the penny dropped. Oh, he's listening. Because he was. If he didn't really have something to say, he waited till he found out what he was supposed to say. And then he said it. What a concept. <laughs> Another person who has been uh, very influential in my, my life is, is Bruce Coble. And um, a few of the things that, that Bruce has said has really resonated with me, probably none so much as him saying, I have learned if I don't have the word to give to people, I need to be quiet. And when people come to me and they want to talk about their life or they want to talk about, and all I've got to give them is my opinion, I need to keep that one. Just wait until I got something something from God. There is a time to be silent. And strangely, ironically, there's a lot to be said for being silent. 
Some of you know Proverbs 17, 28. You might not know the numbers, but you know this verse is there. And, and I didn't know the numbers, so I looked it up, uh, which is another concept, looking up something occasionally. But I knew this verse was there, and it says this, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning, if they hold their tongues. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One of the reasons is, you know, when people don't talk much, when they're, when they're silent, then you know, most of the people around them are kind of going, well, ooh, they must be deep, you know, uh, silent waters run deep. But the other reason for this, one of the reasons why fools are thought wise as they keep silent is because they just did something wise. Thought discerning if they held their tongues. They just did something discerning. How often do our tongues get us into trouble? Your tongue ever got you in trouble? I hear that. <laughs> have you ever said anything you shouldn't have? And of course, you know, once it goes out there, blah, 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 you, you just you can't get that thing back. It's, it's out there. In fact, it probably goes out into the atmosphere and into space, and it's still traveling somewhere beyond the solar system at this point. Speaking can be very useful, but there are some traps. One of the traps is that we tend to, we tend to embellish. We, we tend to embellish what we're talking about. And, you know, the Irish tell stories with advantages, but they do that for fun. You know, and, and, and uh, so, you know, people know, okay, yeah, right, for sure. Yeah, but we, have to, we need to be careful. When Saul, when King Saul died, he died in a battle, and he, uh, they were fighting against the Philistines. And what happened was uh, the battle was clearly lost, and he turned to his armor bearer, and he said, you know, run me through because the Philistines are going to come, and they're going to take me, and that ain't gonna, that's not going to be good. Uh, well, his armor bearer refused to do it because he, he was too terrified to kill the king. So Saul fell on his own sword, and the armor bearer fell on his sword. And then this guy came along in a Malachite, and I don't know which side he was on. doesn't tell us which side he was on. But the Malachite came along, and he took the crown, and he, and he ran off with it and took it to David because he knew who the next king was probably going to be. He was gonna, probably going to be David, and he, uh, you know, he thought, this is, this is good. I, I'll, I'll get a reward for this, for this piece of news. And when he, when he took it to David, he brought the crown and placed it at his feet and said, uh, my Lord, the King Saul is dead. Your enemy has, has been, because David and Saul, you know, had, had their issues. Your enemy is now dead. And David said, how do you know he was dead? You know, and rather than saying, well, I saw him dead. He wasn't breathing. He had a sword through him. And, you know, so I took the crown and brought it to you. No, that's not what he said. What he said was he, he decided to embellish it a little bit. He went, well, I, you know, it was in the battle, and, and he looked at me, and he said, I'm dying, but I, I'm not dead yet, and I need to die before the Philistines get me. So, so I killed him. I, I finished him off because that's what he asked me to do. Wrong. Wrong thing to say. Because while the guy was thinking, wow, you know, I, I'm the one who, I, he, now he thinks I'm the one who killed his enemy, and I'm the one who's going to make him king. And Well, there's no telling what I'm going to get for this. Well, there was no telling what he was going to get for this. 
Because David said, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And his embellishment cost him his life. As David said to his guys, strike him down. In the New Testament, uh, there's a, a couple you may have heard of called Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, you know the story, but let me, let me, I say you know the story, let me uh, set the record straight because some people think, well, Ananias and Sapphira, God killed them because they didn't give all the money they were supposed to give. That's not what the story was, and that's not why they got struck down. You see, there were people who, there were, there were some people who, who sold uh, land and came and brought all the money and, and gave it to the apostles. And, and those people were getting, they were getting a pretty good reputation. I mean, folks were going, wow, did you hear what, did you hear what Sam did? Wow, that, that's pretty special. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted some of that. You know, they thought, well, we'd like to, we'd like for people to be talking about us that way. So they sold their lot, but after they sold it, they went, that's a lot of money. Let's just give part of it because we need this part and we'll say we gave it all. And so they came and they brought the money to Peter. And and when they did, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. You know, the Holy Spirit's got, you know, he he talks to people who listen. And he he spoke to him and, and Peter said, was this all the money? And they said, oh, yes, yes. Look, while you owned the land, it was yours. And when you sold it, that money was yours. You could do anything you wanted to with it. Why did you decide to lie to the Holy Spirit with it? And that's why, that's why they were struck down. So you have to be careful about embellishment. And not only embellishment, we're, we're also tempted to make rash promises. Anybody ever made one? Okay. <laughs> the rest of you just don't understand the question, do you? <laughs> Over in the Old Testament, there was a, a, a judge of Israel named Jephthah. And, uh, and he was called on to rescue Israel from the, from the Ammonites. And when he went out to battle against them, he, he made a vow. He said, Lord, if you will give me victory against the Ammonites, then the first thing that comes out of my house when I come home, I'll sacrifice it to you. Yeah, now you remember the story, right? And so he gets victory, comes home. First thing to come out of his house is his daughter. Only child. And, and you know, and I know um, there's all kinds of spin you can put on this, and people go, well, what kind of God would require him to... Go ahead and, 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 and do that. Look, there are so many evil, terrible things that happen to people. God's, God's got it all sorted out. I mean, on, on the other side, we'll, we'll know some of this stuff. You know, on this side, we just have to go, I trust you. Okay. But we need to keep our word. We need to keep our word. James says this, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. (laughs) You know, 
I wonder if there are some translations that actually say all you need to say is a simple yes and then just don't do it. Did you see that coming? Yeah. Um, God, God, God will take care of things for us. Uh, back in the, in the spring, I got a call, early spring, actually late winter, I got a call. I was supposed to do a, I was supposed to do a, a play. I was supposed to do a show um, in, uh, in the late spring uh, over in Franklin. And I got a call back in uh, February, late February, going, well, we, you know, we've made some changes. We're not going to do that show. And, you know, I'm sorry we don't have a role for you in the show we're going to put in. And I'm, I went, hey, you know, I'm good. I've got, I'm pretty occupied this spring. And uh, oh, and it and it and it it was perfect. It, it worked out great. I mean, the show opened the week that Margaret passed. You know, I'd I'd have had to drop out, and I've I've never I've never dropped out because, well, I would have in this case. And there and things happen, and there and there are reasons. But we live in an era when people make promises and then they walk off and think no more about them. Walk off and just think no more about it. Uh, when Rhonda was sharing uh, at, at Margaret's service and she went through that list of things of, that Margaret had taught her, and one of the things that, you know, the thing that I enjoyed the most, as I said a few weeks ago, was uh, kiss your spouse often in front of other people. But one of the other things that she taught a lot of you and she taught me as well was it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. Yeah. Um, Here's what happens uh, when, when, you, when you say yes and you don't mean it. People count on you until they learn that they can't. We've had, we've had uh, it's been a while, but we've had situations here at the church where we've had people who've been in positions of, to do things, whatever, authority, and they weren't necessarily doing them. And then you go and talk to them and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And they still wouldn't do it. What they need to say is, I can't do it. Step down so somebody else can. Because nobody else can as long as they've got the position. If you say yes and then don't do it, that means somebody else can't actually do it. It's real important to be able to, to say no. No is not, look, I'm a yes person. I love the word yes. I absolutely do, and, and I love saying yes. But no is okay too. No doesn't mean you don't like me. I don't like you. No, it just means I'm telling the truth. Can't really do this. And people are so certain, you know, and, and then also people are so certain of what they of what they think they know, and that often includes what other people are thinking. Uh, most people don't even know what they're thinking, much less what somebody else is thinking. You know, most people don't even know their own motives, much less what somebody else's motives are about why they, why they did such and such. How often, and then how often have you said something, and maybe it, maybe it wasn't, uh, well, how often have you said something that brought pain and maybe even destruction into a situation or into another person's life? James 3, 6 says this, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. 
sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, there it is. Tell us what you really think about the tongue, James. Fortunately, not every match that is struck starts a forest fire. However, the one that does doesn't have to be intentional. It just needs to be careless. Just needs to be thoughtless. Over the years, I've learned how important it is to be, uh, uh, to be thoughtful about the words that are used. Now, that doesn't mean that I've you know, that I've learned to do it that well, but, I, but I've learned how important it is because uh, I've gotten called on things often enough, and, and that's okay. Uh, back when we were in Zimbabwe, sometimes it, uh, you know, sometimes it's more drastic than others, but one, back when we were in Zimbabwe, um, there was a couple, Roley and Jim Baker, who were renewing their vows. And as they were, it was an afternoon, uh, late afternoon, early evening, uh, vow renewal service at their house. And, and Margaret and I were in attendance, and uh, I was standing beside uh, Ian Wilshire, the pastor, and he, uh, uh, he had done a wedding that morning. He had done a wedding for a couple that morning as well. So he had a pretty full day. And uh, as he was uh, officiating for Roley and Jen, he said, now, unlike uh, Robert and Jill, Roly and Jen don't have to get married. And, and one of the elders of the church was standing next to me is uh, uh, Peter Griffiths, and he was very good with words. And Peter went, oh, Ian, watch your words, watch your words. Now, I think the group was tight enough there that they, you know, they knew Ian for who Ian was. But it's, it's, it'd be very easy, you know, for... People will be going, did you know that Robert and Jill had to get married? And now that's kind of funny, but it ain't funny. I just use the word ain't. <laughs> because I wanted to emphasize the fact that it's not funny. How many marriages have ended because of thoughtless words? Thoughtless words. How many friendships destroyed? How many wars started because of thoughtless words. Last week, Kevin um, said that if you're in a physically abusive relationship, you should tell someone, and that's, that's good advice. That, that is good advice. Uh, but let me take that a step further. If you're in a verbally abusive relationship, you need to do something about it because it will become physical. And even if it doesn't, it already is. When I was, when I was a kid, there, the saying used to be, oh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Wrong. Sticks and stones you can heal up. Broken bones you can heal up. Words can bring wounds that just won't heal. And God doesn't intend for you to be in that. What are you saying? You're telling me to leave my, my wife, leave my husband? I'm telling you... You need help. Fix it. There are issues there that are, that, are being, that are being ignored. And you can tell it by the words that are being said. We live in a... I mean, I'll just take one other place quickly with this. We live in an era when people are being taught to prophesy. You know, come to our school and learn to prophesy. 
It's ironic that we also live in an era when, when, uh, of profound biblical ignorance. If you want to learn to prophesy, read the prophets. Read the prophets. Just read them. I mean, seriously. Uh, you know, if you want to learn to pray, read the Psalms. If you want to learn to worship, you can read the Psalms and various other passages. You want to learn to prophesy? Read the prophets. You'll find out, you'll get a sense for what prophecy feels like, for what it sounds like, and what comes with it. What, what, because it's not just speaking words. There's a life that comes with it. There are things that come with it. You say, well, you know, I know the Bible pretty well. Well, simply knowing the Bible is also not enough. You need, to, you need both of those. I mean, you need the, the Holy Spirit and biblical knowledge kind of working hand in hand because a lot of people know the Bible well enough to be dangerous. Know it well enough to use it as a weapon. And let me just tell you, any idiot can point a gun and pull a trigger. I mean, you don't even have to be a full-grown idiot to do that. But it takes training and patience and knowledge and wisdom to heal those wounds. Nevertheless, there is a time to speak. Absolutely. Words are powerful. They can bring... They can, they can bring life and healing as well as death and destruction. God spoke the universe into existence. In the beginning was the Word. And the Bible states that the, that, that the created universe started when God said, let there be light, let there be plants, let there be, let there be. We have been instructed to speak. We have been instructed to go into all the world and preach the gospel, bring the gospel. And you know what the gospel is, right? It's good news. It's good news, good news for the poor as well as for the rich, good news for the sinner as well as for the saint, no exceptions. All the world receives this, this good news. St. Francis uh, of Assisi, probably his most famous quote, was uh, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And of course, the point that he's making is that our life needs to actually preach the gospel as well. I mean, if your words preach the gospel and your life preaches something else, then those words get negated by, by what your life is. So there, there needs to be a unity there, but, but, but words are necessary. Words, words are important to preach the gospel. And Jesus did not come saying, I got bad news and I got good news. I mean, that's how we bring it. You know, the bad news is you're going to hell. The good news is you don't have to if you listen to me. I can tell you how to, I can tell you. But Jesus didn't come bringing it. No, Jesus brought, brought good news. And they say a picture can be worth a thousand words. And a picture can be worth a thousand words. But there's no picture that can express these 26 words. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You may say, well, I, you know, I, I've seen pictures that said that to me. It's because you already knew that. If you'd seen that picture and you didn't know these words, it would have said something very different to you. 
These words are, are essential and they're, and they're powerful. Words matter and there is a time to speak. These two words changed my life. Probably have changed the lives of many of you. What powerful two words. <laughs> I do. But all the stuff that's contained in those and those two words, good grief. <laughs> and and that's, that's actually a literal term. That, that's actually probably the right good and grief. They, they, both, they both get compacted into that. You have to be ready for it. Uh, in some ceremonies, they substitute the term I will, but let's take it out of the ceremony. Let's just say I will. That's a, that's a powerful that should be a powerful two words. T today, I will often seems to mean I will as long as I feel like it. You know, I feel I will unless I get a better offer. I might. It's okay to say I might. It's okay to say no. But if you say, I will, it needs to mean I will. And let's make the sentence longer. How about, I love you? Yeah. I hope everybody has said that to somebody today. If you hadn't, we got enough time. Take 10 seconds and just say it to somebody. We go, well, I don't even know them. Well, you can love them anyway. Oh, come on. I mean... It's, it's a time to speak. Yeah. Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> These are words that God is saying to us all the time. I will. You can trust me. You can trust my promises. You, you, you can trust the things that I say. You can trust me to, to lead you through death into eternal life. You, I will. I love you. I genuinely love you. I, yeah, I know you're a stinker. I know, that, I, know that, I know stuff you've done that your mama doesn't know. In fact, I know stuff you've done bad and wrong that you didn't even know was bad and wrong. Because I saw the residual damage. And I love you. I love you. The most powerful words we can speak, though, and these are powerful but are the words of our testimony. Over in, over in John chapter 9, uh, I, I love the book of John, and it, it's got, got these things in it all the time, but one of the, probably the original and greatest drop the mic line in it. There's a guy who was born blind, and Jesus healed him. Jesus uh, put mud on his eyes and told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and, and he'd be healed, and so he did. And um, the, uh, the, the Pharisees didn't like this because they, they were threatened. They felt threatened by Jesus. And, 
Uh, so they decide to investigate, and they call the guy's parents in, and they said, is this your son? Yeah, he's our son. Was oh, he born blind? Yeah, we know he's born blind. Uh, how, how is it he can see now, huh? And they said, well, you, you know, we know he's our son. We know he's born blind, but how he can see now, you ask him, because they, they were afraid of these guys. They, they could be thrown out of the synagogue by these guys. So they called the, the, the man in and said, well, tell us about this. And he said, well, he made mud and he put it on my eyes and he told me to go and wash and I came back and I could see. And, and uh, they didn't like that answer. Uh, so they called him in again and they said, we know this man's a sinner. Now, you know, tell us what really happened. And he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is I was blind. Now I can see. You've got that. You have that. You, you may go, well, I, I didn't have anything that dramatic happen to me. It doesn't necessarily have to be dramatic. It, it just has to be true. I have a friend who, uh, as a worship team, you guys can come on out. I, I have a friend who uh, uh, gave his life to the Lord, and his whole family came, because he said, he, said, he said to God, God, show me somebody like me that you've whose life you, you've changed. Show me somebody who's just a regular guy, got a regular job, has, has a family, has some obligations, and you changed his life. And lo and behold, there's a few of those around. Uh, he, he, he met a guy who's a regular guy like him with a regular job, has a family, had obligations. Jesus Christ changed my life. Well, he's going to change mine too. Just, just tell it. Just tell it. Just tell what yours is. Go, I, you know, I'm kind of, huh? You know, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like to share too much. Look, this is something you know better than anyone. This is something no one can gainsay because nobody can go, well, no, you did. It was me. Happened to me. You know, I don't, I don't care what your philosophy is. I don't care what your, your ideas are. I don't even care if you believe in God or not. This happened to me. There's a time to speak. There's a time to be bold. You tell people about other things. You, you tell them about the deal that you got. You tell them about the meal that you went to, you, the, the, the party, the, the guy that you met. Tell them about the guy that you met. How it changed your life. There is a time to speak.